Welcome to Research Radio, Episode 11. The Research Radio series brings evidence-informed child welfare research to life through interviews with leading researchers. This month, we speak with Reiko Boyd, doctoral candidate and graduate student researcher in the School of Social Welfare at the University of California at Berkeley about her research on disproportionality and disparity in child welfare. This episode's host is Phil Mack. Okay, my name is Rayco Boyd, and I'm a doctoral candidate and graduate student researcher in the School of Social Welfare at the University of California at Berkeley. And before you became um, a PhD candidate, you, you were practicing in the field of child welfare, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Um, I previously worked with the Los Angeles County Department of Children and Family Services as an adoption worker. And following that, I was employed with the Santa Clara County of Children and Family Services as a case-caring worker in the community care facility unit, um, which is primarily, um, I had a caseload primarily of adolescents and group home care. Mm. Did that work in any way contribute to your decision to do the research and the work that you're doing now? It did, actually. Um those both of both of those positions um, pretty much uh, set me on the path to be interested in pursuing um, doctoral studies. Um, one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why I chose this um, route was because I noticed um, over time, as as most um, child welfare workers do, notice that um, change in the system is hard to come by. Um, and I was kind of dissatisfied with um, feeling like um, change only happened in response to um, negative events a lot of times. Um, but I did see some proactive effort um, through my agencies in terms of training. Um, but I really, I really valued the the work that I did with with children and families directly. But um, over time, I learned that. Um, I was interested in participating and contributing to change um, in, a, in a different, through a different avenue, and I saw research as one way to do that. Um, had a lot of questions about why we carried out certain services and practices um, that we did, and about I had questions about um, how we knew they were effective um, or not, and that led me to uh, pursue. Um, my current program uh, and doctoral studies. Mm. So what is the, the research that you're doing right now and that you're going to talk about uh, through the course of this interview? Okay, so uh, my um, I'm generally interested in child welfare services, uh, but I have a particular focus on racial and ethnic disparities in the child welfare system. Um, I'm also interested in the connection between racial disparities across service systems and neighborhood and community context. Um, so that those areas relate to um, the work that I'll talk about today. Were there specific things that occurred that caused you to be interested in these specific topics? Um, actually, there were. Um, I was in, I've been interested in issues of um, equity, racial equity, and social justice um, for a long time. 
Um, on a personal level, I had some key experiences um, as a young person that were pretty foundational to my development. And the first one was um, a program. It was called Sojourn to the Past, and it was actually an opportunity I had to travel through through the South um, in the United States for a firsthand experience of the civil rights movement. So I would study about events. Um, and the next day, we would actually be on the ground in the place where these events occurred, um, where we would get to talk to people who participated. Um, and that was that was pretty pivotal in my, my um, development. And the second experience I had was um, I was had the privilege of receiving a scholarship through the Jackie Robinson Foundation, um, which was started by Rachel Robinson. She's the wife of the late Jackie Robinson, and he actually um, who uh, broke the color line in Major League Baseball, and that was a really a chance to be part of a community that was committed to continuing um, Jackie Robinson's legacy, service, and leadership. So um, those experience those experiences pretty much reinforced my uh, understanding of my part in a bigger picture. And of um, about the freedom and privileges I I enjoy because of the sacrifices of others. So um, that was that was that's about those instilled values um, that I carry with me in the work that I do. But they really cemented my my interest in the opportunity structure in place for African American children in particular. Um, and so. You know, that combined with my interest in child welfare and my experience in child welfare um, brought me to studying racial disparity in the child welfare system. Um, it's all placed in that larger context for me. Um, I mean, in addition, as a professional, um, I was, I was, my, my experience um, as a child welfare worker in Los Angeles County, um, actually going into communities to do my home visits. Um, I was struck by the inequality that was manifest across neighborhoods. So I, that's when I really became interested in the relationship between race, place, and opportunity. And I was really interested um, and curious about how structural differences shape the context um, in which families and children lived. So um, when I came, you know, when I when I became a doctoral student. I became interested in what the child welfare research had to say about these types of circumstances and what, if anything, the research had to say about um, how they play out uh, into racial disparities that we see in the system. And what, uh, what has your research shown so far? So I actually, um, my approach has been uh, to start with the very basics. Um, and so, as I mentioned, I had I had prior interest in this area, but I wanted to take a step back and um, step back from my uh, my perspective and just see what the what the literature said um, at the at the most basic level, asking a basic question about why racial disparities exist in child welfare. Um, yeah, simply why 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 is this problem here and um, what explanations are contained in the literature. Um, so that was my approach. And um, the way I kind of framed it was kind of under, wanting to understand what the theoretical foundation for explaining racial disparities was, what do we have to say about that um, 
and the child welfare research. And so um, I took a, 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 actually another step back from that to first start by asking um, how do we define the problem? And so how do we even define disproportionality or disparity in child welfare? Um, then next I wanted to see, well, what do, what do researchers and what does the research say about the explanatory factors? Um, how do we explain this, this phenomenon? And um, lastly, I wanted to see if there were any explicit conceptual frameworks or theories being used within the literature to explain the problem. Um, so that's really what my, my um, work has involved so far. That's an intriguing approach. Um, I'm wondering, have you noticed any trends or any patterns in, in the research that you have done uh, in trying to explore those questions? Sure, I, I have actually, um, and I was surprised by, by what I found. Um, to begin, just in terms of the definitions, across studies I found that um, there, were, there was a lot of variation even in the definitions that we use to define the terms of disproportionality and disparity. Um, and in my perspective, the definitions um, often represented distinct concepts. Um, uh, and also, they had distinct implications for how we measure um, disparity, um, how we approach it, uh, approach research, and also potential interventions. So, for example, I can say, um, say one, one definition of disparity that I found was um, unequal treatment when comparing a racial or ethnic minority to a non-minority. Um, and that compare, I, I also found other, these are just two examples, but another would say um, that disparity is defined as the ratio of entry or exit rate for African-American children to the entry or exit rate for white children. So I bring those two up, those two examples up to emphasize one, one definition um, has this key of unequal treatment uh, implied, and another one is just saying what's well, actually we're looking at the ratios, um, you know, statistics of entry, entry rates and exit rates and just comparing those. So. They have. They both have very different um, uh, meanings, and as I as I said before, how we would approach um, the problem based on those definitions definitions is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would imagine the implications of the different metrics have some some right. pretty drastic differences as well. Right. Um, so I also found in terms of explanatory factors that. Um, Many studies identified they, they identified about three or four factors that were generally based on what we know about risk factors for child maltreatment or child welfare contact um, or or factors related to inadequacies in the child welfare system functioning. Um, so studies would identify three or four factors, but overall um, examples would be poverty bias of child welfare professionals or the system, um, parent or family factors, or community um, risk. So those are examples of um, explanations that are used. But the interesting thing is 
what it appeared to be um, a lot of picking and choosing, um, there's not consistency with the explanatory factors that are used across studies. Um, so there's there's a wide range that you would find, and um, I thought that was another interesting um, interesting thing about um, how this topic is um, is explained in the literature. And um, lastly, in terms of the conceptual frameworks, I I found um, you know while there's a a number of explanatory factors, I only found two works that explicitly propose conceptual frameworks um, to understand um, disparities and disproportionality in the system. Um, but they had a, a number of key differences, um, just a couple of differences. One was specific to African-American children, and one was um, was to be applied to children of color in general. Um, and so um, another thing, some of them, they included some explanatory factors, but there were others within the literature that weren't included or accounted for. Um, so I thought there were some some um, some gaps in even the way that we're we have um, for having conceptual frameworks um, within within the literature. Mm. Could you explain explain briefly what you mean by a conceptual framework? Yeah. So I mean. When we think of um, a, a comprehensive um, way of understanding why or how um, something occurs, and in this case, I'm looking at the the problem of um, of dis- disparity, racial disparity in the system, kind of a a comprehensive way of um, a framework that guides how we understand the problem, and really that can inform approaches to addressing addressing the problem and interventions as well. So um, so that's what I was looking for. And I didn't, I framed it in terms of theory. Um, and that's just like the, the really to have an, an organized and consistent way of, of capturing um, really exp- potential um, explanations that reflect what we know um, and what we also may do what we hope to know about the problem. So, um, so that's really what I'm referring to. Mm. And your work has largely been, I think, to develop uh, or push the literature toward the development of such a conceptual framework. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Um, overall, after going through those the steps that I described, I do um, I have worked on proposing a comprehensive conceptual framework. Um, and really what I was aiming to do was to um, put together a framework that reflected the range of explanatory factors um, that are currently present in the literature um, that are not necessarily uh, contained within the current framework, but to kind of bring together an overall um, a framework that captures competing perspectives um, and that also serves as a basis for um, continuing to to ask questions about this problem um, and to do future research about this these issues. So um, I aim to you know to be to um, organize and consolidate the explanations um, in a way that you know would promote clarity and some more uh, consistency and communi- communication around. 
um, around these topics. Um, that sounds like a fairly massive undertaking. Well, I, I, I felt, I felt that it was at the time. (laughs) (laughs) So could you briefly describe, um, in a fairly non-academic way so that those who aren't familiar with the research literature may understand it, uh, what your conceptual framework entailed? Sure. Of course I can. Um, and to, before I do that, I just want to say that one, another thing, another thing, um, finding, um, as I went through the literature was I really found that a lot of, um, discussions around the problem of disparity were framed in terms, in terms of explanatory factors were framed in this dichotomy of, well, the cause, the cause of disparities in the system, it's either because, um, because of poverty or because of bias. So, we know that um, that individual level poverty is a risk factor, like uh, for child maltreatment. We know that, um, and so that I think that's where a lot of that argument came from. It's because the co- the poverty as a um, poverty was was being attributed with driving up the number of of um, children of color and African American children in general in care, um, and then bias on the other side. Well, that's attributed to child welfare workers um, and also to, in some cases, to the system, um, the system being biased. But, you know, uh, what I, what I, this is where my practice experience came in as well, because it, I, it didn't, that those two explanations, um, you know, while I, I could see that there's some validity um, and perhaps, you know, some research to, to back both sides, that they didn't seem to capture the the um, the the totality of of contributing factors that that um, we see related to this issue. So um, that that was another reason why I thought let's just go to the literature. Let's see what the empirical basis for um, for explaining this problem really is. Those that dichotomy I felt was was not sufficient, and so. Um, that also contributed to the, the framework I proposed. So um, I'll just talk about that a little bit. Um, basically, what I, what I, the way I organize uh, the many factors is within five, five pathways. And one has to do with the fact, one is called, the first is called disproportionate need. And that means that, um, you know, we know, we know that there are certain risk factors uh, that are associated with child maltreatment. And a higher incidence of, of child maltreatment um, for certain populations. So this this pathway really says that um, you, children children and families of color, and in in the case I'm my the framework specific to African American children, so I'll, I'll be using that um, this this group. Well, African American children and families have higher need because they have a higher um, level of uh, risk factors um, associated with child abuse and neglect. Um, so that's really the that's the argument or the rationale for the disproportionate need pathway, which includes, um, as I mentioned before, this this um, issue of poverty. But what I did within this um, within this framework is to really um, break down that that explanation. And highlight the fact that there's a difference between household poverty, structural poverty. Um, so that's 
really poverty in terms of uh, poverty of place um, in communities that can relate to community resources and the fact that not it's not only people that are poor but places also. So um, this model, the fr- this framework um, strives to incorporate these this type of discussion and these um, these topics within within this pathway. Um, then also the, the disproportionate need that relates to uh, parent, child, or family factors, for instance, um, issues such as substance abuse or mental health um, and, and things like that that are associated with um, higher need for child welfare services in general. Um, so then we have the, uh, the next pathway, is human decision-making. Um, and within this pathway, the explanations of um, bias, inconsistent decision-making, and lack of cultural competence. Um, and I, I thought it was important to distinguish between each of those um, factors um, and not to, um, not, to attribute, not to assume that they mean the same thing um, because, again, there are different approaches to addressing each of those issues. Um, for instance, uh, lack of cultural competence or cultural humility can be addressed in a different way than um, decision ma- inconsistent decision making of um, of you know individual staff. Um, so then the the next pathway is agency or systemic factors, which relate to the infrastructure of an agency. So that's um, staffing issues, caseload issues. Um, things of that nature. Also, organi- organizational culture. So, an example would be um, if if workers don't feel, don't have uh, proper supervision, um, if they feel they are at risk of um, of being penalized for making certain decisions or not, you know, not removing a child or um, you know, just the the culture that's in the agency can contribute to. Um, decision making and different outcomes. Um, also, quality of services. So, this would include the type of resources that are available to families um, and that are provided by agencies. So, um, there's a number of. Again, all these 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 categories are pretty broad. Um, for the sake of time, I'm trying to go through through them pretty pretty quickly, but. Um, the last two are placement dynamics, and that relates to um, kinship care, um, also barriers to, barriers to adoption, um, and issues with placement stability for African American children in general. I mean, uh, specifically, um, and lastly, the impact of policy. So, um, there, a, a lot of times we point to the lack of legislation um, targeting children of color, um, and also. Um, lack of some funding, funding and research to, to further study these these issues. So that was a mouthful, but um, those are the main pathways that um, that pretty much try I, I organized to try to capture the range of um, factor explanatory factors that are proposed in the literature. It sounds like you did a fairly good job of it as well, because it sounds like a number of different competing explanations for disproportionality and disparity are contained in one framework. 
I'm wondering, um, how do you think child welfare practitioners, frontline workers, and supervisors, and et cetera, may, might benefit from knowledge of this research? Well, I think I think one way is that um, <laughs> what I what I what I think is this uh, this review and this framework really reemphasizes what we all know, which is that the issues of disproportionality and disparity are very complex. Um, and so, a takeaway is that. You know, we it's it's okay and it's important to acknowledge that there's there are very few settled facts um, regarding the causes and also little there's there's little consensus regarding explanations um, even in the research base. So um, I think that's an important first step um, because it's important to, uh, in my view, acknowledge that. Diverse perspectives of the issue are they're important um, because that will re, that will help us continue to have a healthy debate and discussion on this topic um, that hopefully can contribute to better outcomes for children and families. So, um, as far as for child welfare practitioners, I think that um, they should play a key role in such discussions. Um, you know, along with the children and families who are served by the system, along with community members, child welfare administrators, uh, child welfare researchers, there each each um, of those the parties I just mentioned have a role in addressing the issue, and no one can account for the other. So I I you know um, I think practitioners have have a key voice um, as far as at the table and the debate discussion and also um, continuing to to treat this as as a, a important issue um, another implication that that um, not not directly um, addressed in in the the framework I mentioned but emerging research is really pointing to the fact that um, it's important to to seek to understand the problem of of racially disparate outcomes at the local level. So there's a lot of variation um, in levels of disparity um, across, you know, across the United States, which is where this research is focused. So dynamics at the local level um, can play a crucial role. It may play a crucial role in influencing the factors that contribute to the problem. So in my view, child welfare practitioners are in the key position to tune into those dynamics. Um, and that's, and that also means that perspective is important, whether it's an agency seeking to address these issues, um, or whether it's, you know, for researchers, we have a lot to learn from practitioners who are on the ground and who are in tune to the, um, to the dynamics of the agency um, and also the, the communities that they serve as well. Mm. I'm curious, during your time as a frontline practitioner, of the knowledge that you've now tapped into, in, of the things that you've learned from the literature, what do you think would have benefited you as a frontline practitioner? Um, well, that, that's a good question. <laughs> I can say that um, I... I would have liked to 
you know, within each agency I worked in, which were very different, you know, um, Los Angeles County was a different, a whole different world and um, from Santa Clara County. And that goes for the, the, um, the county environment in general to the agency as well. Um, so I think I would have, what I would, what I would have benefited, um, from was knowing more about what what the agency effort in this area uh, as far as effort to address um, dis- disparities, um, racial disparities, and outcomes would have been. Um, I don't I don't think as a worker I was in tune to that, and I'm not sure if this was a, an issue that was on the gen- on the system uh, each respective system's agenda. Um, but I think if I had if I had known or been exposed to what efforts were being made, then um, I could potentially have um, found a place, um, found a place to participate in those efforts. Um, I, yeah, I do, I do see, I do know that the, my involvement, my, as a, as a child welfare worker, um, the balancing act of, of managing a caseload in general was, um, was and I think would always be the ultimate challenge. So, you know, I, I would want to also know more about, um, what I could do on, as, on an individual level to, um, to really, uh, improve my, my direct practice, um, in a way that could potentially, um, impact this, this issue as well. Mm, okay. So, uh, do you know, of any tangibles that have come out of your research so far? My research is in the very beginning stages. <laughs> so I, I, I can speak more to the kind of, of tangibles and hope, you know, uh, hope of the impact that I, I, I'd like it to have. And um, I think at the very basic level, um, I just hope that it would simply encourage more more research on how we you know, how we define these problems, how we, how they're measured, um, and even more, more studies that focus in on specific aspects of, of the problem, um, because I think that's an important way to, um, to address and to have a tangible impact. Um, and as I mentioned before, um, looking at the problem at a local level, um, because I think it's, to, to me, it's a foundation for understanding what an effective approach or intervention might be. I don't think there's a there's no one size fits all. So if we can, if, if my research help, helps helps to contribute to those foundational understandings of this this problem, then I think that would that would uh, be meaningful. Um, and it partly because um, when we understand it in this way. And we're not conceptualizing the problem of racial disparities in child welfare in a way that's very narrow, um, then we won't oversimplify and we won't think that just one or two interventions, uh, for instance, will, will, uh, roll out, um, anti-racism or, or, uh, cultural competence training to the child welfare workers and that should do it. Um, not to say that they're, you know, those, those, Interventions don't have their place, um, 
but I, but that's an example of, of my view that certain, um, a narrow depiction will lead to in, insufficient, um, approaches and interventions. So my hope is that, you know, um, we all, on the other hand, we won't come to a false conclusion that, um, we can't do anything about disparities in child welfare. Um, that, you know, all the solutions are beyond, um, the system's purview. So the child welfare system can't do anything about, uh, about racial disparities. You know, I, I reject that as a, as a false conclusion, um, especially based on the fact that some, some literature and some research speaks to the, the role of the agency and system in, in creating and sustaining, um, racially disparate outcomes. So, um, so that's, those are the kinds of, you know, like I said, I, and I'm in the beginning stages of my research, but what I hope to do is to, um, continue to build, um, more of a body of work in this area that can have a tangible impact, um, in the future. You have been listening to Research Radio, Episode 11, a conversation with Rako Boyd. Research Radio is produced by Practice and Research Together, a membership-based organization that promotes the understanding and use of evidence-informed practice at all levels of the child welfare system. For more information about this episode's topic, Research Radio, or Practice and Research Together, please visit www.partcanada.org. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at PartEIP. That's P-A-R-T-E-I-P. Thanks for listening.